Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, Where Brains Meet Beauty fans. Alina and Anessa here, and we are the co-founders of Vike Beauty. We're here to talk about our newest launch that happened three weeks ago at Ipsy Live. This is the first makeup remover spray on the market with skincare benefits. For more information, find us on Instagram at Vike Beauty. Happy holidays. Hey, WBMB fans, Sasha here from Pharmaesthetics. Wouldn't it be nice to look bright-eyed and well-rested all day long? Maybe your daily caffeine fix just isn't cutting it. Pharmaesthetics' new Watercress Eye Gel combines the naturally cooling and hydrating superpowers of watercress, cucumber, caffeine, arnica, and aloe to vanish dark circles, fine lines, and puffiness with just one drop. You can even apply watercress eye gel over or under makeup to look well-rested all day and all night long. Even better, Pharmaesthetics luxury, finerable skincare is always packaged in the most sustainable materials available and always made with 100% natural ingredients that you can feel great about putting on your skin. Happy holidays! Hey everybody, welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I'm your host, Jody Katz. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Cheryl Foland. She is the CEO and founder of Lila B. And if you missed last week's episode, it features my friend, Allison Slater-Ray. I hope you enjoy the episodes. I am so excited to be sitting with Cheryl Foland. She is the CEO and founder of Lila B. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'm going to start with one of my favorite questions, which is how have you been spending your day today? Wow. Um, My day has been rather chaotic. Um, I'm in town to meet with uh, beauty editors. So I have a whole roundup of desk side meetings introducing a fabulous new product launch um, that's coming up in January. Um, But this morning, I've already had two breakfast meetings where I had to pretend that I didn't have the first one. (laughs) Um, And then I've already had three different desk sides and uh, a little bite to eat. And now I'm thrilled to be sitting here with you. How do you keep your energy up on those days? Uh, It's tough, especially since we flew in late last night from the West Coast. So um, I don't jet lag very, um, um, very much, but uh, trying to get enough sleep, drink lots of water. The first thing I do whenever I uh, fly cross country uh, and I get into New York is the very, very first morning I force myself to get up and go for a quick run um, or a Peloton class if I can make it to their studio. Um, And it kind of gets me a little bit, you know, motivated and moving um, and I'm sort of on track. Uh, East Coast time. But uh, I think exercise and just really hydrating helps me a lot. So we're going to um, go back in time with your career journey, but I'm going to start with something that I thought was really quite funny and like sweet funny, which is that um, your friends or siblings would have said about your now husband that, in quotes, I don't think you would have liked the old Cheryl. <laughs> That is hilarious, and I can't even believe I said that and told you that. Well, um, you know, I think it speaks to, like, a lot of what we talked about that we'll get into, which is, like, there was a a version of you before this company that you started and now a version of you after it. Yes. And that human evolution is important. That's why we're here together to talk about it. So with that in mind, what was the old Cheryl? What were you up to? What were you doing? What was your career and your habits at the time? Sure. Um, Well, I was born into an extremely loud, chaotic Italian 
Italian family. And uh, if you've ever been around one or in one, you'll know what I mean. Um, and I was the oldest child. So I was like mommy number two, um, always the fast talker, type A overachiever. Um, and that trickled all the way into my career, my education, my career um, up until 13 years ago when I moved to the West Coast. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a sec. And uh, everything started to change. Um, and during my time living uh, and being raised here on the East Coast, um, I I always had to do better, do more, um, be bigger. And uh, I ended up in the world of finance where I was one of few women. And um, I had to be the overachiever. I had to talk over everyone to be heard. Um, and that was in the early 90s. And it was a very interesting time. And, um, you know, I worked too much. Um, I played too little. And uh, I had a very frivolous life in terms of my purchasing, um, the makeup I wore, the way I wore my hair, how fast I talked. Um, even my culture and my style when it came to business um, and personal, to be honest with you. And, um, and, and the new Cheryl, I shouldn't say the new, but the second life, the second phase of Cheryl, um, if you will, was, uh, was really came out when I moved out to the West Coast. Um, and I, I just found this incredibly well-balanced, healthy lifestyle. And to be completely candid, growing up on the East Coast and spending a majority of my time in Connecticut and Manhattan as a kid, um, this was all learned behavior for me here. So I never really knew that there was something different. And I never thought there'd be anything different out there that I would love more. Um, so that is the Cheryl that my husband met and fell in love with. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure he would really have liked the woman I was here, <laughs> to be honest. Well, you described him as like, you know, like he takes care of himself. He's super well balanced. Right. And we talked a lot about living through a career and not really living beyond that. So, um, in those days when you were in finance, um, your priorities, was it just all work? It was all work. It was all work. And, um... Uh, you know, I was that overachiever where I just always thought that uh, I also think it was the pace of Manhattan and um, the world that I was in, which, you know, today I think the younger generations, millennials and younger, are much more focused on experiences and balance and um, what is the work culture is, you know, what it's like, what is it like. And I don't know that that was even a question for me. Um, I was on call 24-7. You know, when I was first out of school in the early 90s, there was no, you know, laptops and fancy smartphones. So you were glued to your desk when you're looking for, you know, a response um, and sometimes worked very, very late nights or even pulled all-nighters. Um, and while I love to spend time with friends and family, it was never a priority and I don't think that back then I recognized um, just how important self-care is overall, not just for yourself as a person, but also what you can be to other people. Um, and I think back in the 90s when everyone was just like really running fast, um, especially my generation, um, I think that self-care felt selfish. 
And now today, people embrace it. People are proud and happy that you actually take care of you. Um, so yes, yeah, a very, very different time. You know, I've noticed, um, I've been doing the podcast for three years and have had my business agency for 13 at this point. And when I talk to people, I'm 44. So when I talk to people who are older than me or my age, um, some of them, not all, um, they still cling to this idea of the harder I work, the better I am as a, a whole person. Um, and uh, the more I sacrifice it for work, the better I am at it, right? Which is what I knew in my 20s because that's what was around me, but it's not who I am now. And um, I'm really caught off guard by it these days because it's so mm-hmm. so opposite of who I am and the way that I run my business and the way that I'm around my team that um, I get taken aback like when people are like, oh, yeah, I, like, stop everything when the client calls, even if it's during the family's dinner. Or I'm on vacation. Thank God there's Wi-Fi in Italy because, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, yes, I get it because I was there, you yes. know? Yes. And I think it's just, you know, like, if you spend 30 years in your career and that's the way it is, it's really hard for people to snap out of it. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. So I want to talk about that point that, like, kind of pushed you off the ledge to snap out of it. Um, you went to work at Arcade. I did. Tell I us did. about that. Um, so part of my journey was working with an amazing team um, at a private equity firm. And they acquired uh, Arcade Marketing um, when they were still fairly small. And Arcade provides uh, consultancy around how do you launch a product? How do you sample a product? How do you get a product into the hands of a consumer um, to try before you buy? Uh, just an amazing model. Just an amazing, amazing business. But at this um, time, it's famous for the sun strips and yes, magazines, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, the business was predominantly, I mean, I'd say it was probably 80 to 90%. It was all around fragrance. And if you think about it, that's a no-brainer. How do you put a fragrance ad in a magazine? And how are you going to sell that fragrance if a woman or a man can't can't smell it, can't trial, you know? Um, and so that was a no-brainer. And um, It so really is a genius idea. It's genius. Genius. Absolutely genius. And the whole technology and the way it's manufactured is pretty incredible. Um, so when we, um, when I was part of the team that acquired Arcade, the, the, the moment in time uh, when we looked at growth was, you know, how much business could be had if we started thinking about how to sample a skincare product, uh, a color cosmetic product, a body care product, and not just in like these very simple packets or sachets, but really innovative samples that can be put into magazines or actually put through the mail without bursting, um, distributed on Sephora Smart Sampling, like really, really cool, innovative executions. Um, And it was super fun. And so when I was, it was probably about 2004, 2005, um, I was based in New York. And so it was still part of my career journey in Manhattan in that overachieving, crazy, fast-running, fast-talking person. Um, And then about, uh, I'd say, two and a half years in, um, Arcade and the team, we all recognized the opportunity out on the West Coast. And so, of course, because I opened my big mouth and said, I think there's lots of opportunity out there. And guess what? Beauty you know, doesn't just live here on the East Coast or in New York. Um, And we should really tap into that. Of course, I was the one that was sent out there uh, to get it done. And uh, what I thought was going to be a two-year project turning out to be like a brilliant um, choice of mine and theirs. And uh, and I never came back. And were you um, having a social life when you first moved to California? Like, did you date? How did you meet people? How do you make friends when you're a 
working so much? Well, the interesting thing is, is that um, I not only went out there kicking and screaming, thinking, what is this New York girl actually going to do out in California? Um, But I also think because I was going back and forth so often here to home base, um, I really didn't set roots and I thought it was going to be two years. And so I kept my friends, my family, my social life primarily here. Um, And yes, I met people and they were acquaintances or they were clients that, you know, turned into friends. Um, But I I really didn't let myself go and fall in love with California, the culture, the lifestyle, and the people until I was rounding out that second year. Um, And that's when I realized, I started panicking, actually, thinking about, I'm going to have to go back to New York, present to them where we're at, and uh, probably pack up my stuff and go home. And I couldn't imagine doing it. So, yeah, so I stayed. And um, when did you start to look at your lifestyle? So, interestingly enough, within the first year and a half um, that I moved to California, um, I was sort of, um, I was running fast and I was traveling a lot. And I had very, very high expectations put on me, but also put on myself. And um, I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And I I crashed. I crashed pretty hard. And um, everything was breaking down in my body. It was the first time I'd ever really truly experienced um, how stress and anxiety um, can actually affect you physically. Um, I always thought if I got up at 5 a.m. and I ran like a hamster on the treadmill, I would look fabulous and feel fabulous and, uh, and check that box for cardio. Um, but that wasn't really important at this moment in time in my life. It had been, you know, this culmination of a lot of work and no play, not taking care of myself, both mentally and physically, uh, not eating right. And, um, you know, I, I never partied hard. That wasn't part of the equation. It was really just, I, I just didn't pause and take time for me. So, um, it was probably, you know, a year and a half in where I think, the culture around me, the world that I lived in was really teasing me and taunting me to, you know, get out on that trail and run for an hour. Don't squeeze yourself into a 15-minute, you know, run in a, in a dark gym at 5 a.m. And, um, you know, maybe you should do something for yourself on a Saturday rather than go into the office. And it really is the influence of what people do uh, in the world that I was in in Northern California. Um, it was what, pretty amazing. What kind of boss do you think you were at that time before the shift? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. Um, I had breakfast with someone this morning and uh, I was talking to them about how I would um, present uh, to potential clients. Uh, and this is arcade clients. So it was all beauty, fabulous beauty people, you know, CMOs and founders. And, um, and I would present our technologies and it was super impressive. And I talked really fast and I could have answered any question. But in the end, these people would look at me like I was an alien. And I started to realize they either think I'm on drugs or they think I'm crazy. And I probably need to take it down a notch or two and just chill out a little. And so my style had to change. I had to adapt to a very 
different culture and lifestyle. And um, it was really interesting. And so that trickled into also being a manager. And I started hiring a a full-on sales team because we had nothing based out in Northern California. And it's, it's interesting. The very first person that I ever hired was from the Midwest, but she had spent six years in Manhattan. So she kind of, she was groomed a little bit to be able to handle me. Um, but we both embraced sort of this amazing, um, life. And, uh, and I think I, from then on, particularly now with my new business, um, I really try to instill the work-life, uh, balance and, and the values around taking care of yourself and, and what priorities really should be. Now, in retrospect, looking back into your 20s when you're pushing hard at work and you thought that that was the normal or the right path, can you see any signs um, in retrospect of, like, maybe the world was talking to you, you just weren't ready to hear it? Yeah, absolutely. And what did that manifest as? Um, Well, I think, you know, I'm a true believer in fate, and I think the fact that I even was given an opportunity uh, to move out to California, I think that first and foremost was sort of a clear sign that my life was supposed to take a dramatic turn, whether I was ready for it and whether I embraced it right away or my true personality of sort of, um, you know, sticking to my guns and and really feeling confident in who I was um, is a different story. But um, I, I truly believe that was the turn of events for me. And I don't know where I would be or who I would be had I stayed here in New York. And uh, that's a really interesting thought. Remember the movie? I think it was a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors. Yes. It's so Sliding Doors, right? It is so Sliding Doors. Yes. Yeah. Pretty profound. I'm giggling inside about um, when you recounted what it was like when you were presenting to clients when you were at Arcade. And um, I had a similar experience where I was just being me. And then I realized, like, oh, this isn't good. And it was about um, also something family-rooted. My family, like, they talk over each other. And I just always did that. I didn't know not to, right? So I would be in these business situations with my team or with clients or I'm sure my whole career. And somebody would be speaking no matter, you know, if they were the president of the company or whoever. And I would just interrupt and talk over them. And then I heard myself doing it over clients where I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what she's saying right now is important because she's my client and she's telling me something that I need to act on. But my impulse was just to talk over and um, I noticed it, and then I noticed it again, and I actually started working on this, like, with coaching to get through this and to stop doing it because that's does not, is not good. No, I know. And, and it's interesting when you say learned behavior because I think while I was probably the more conservative, uh, milder one of the bunch in my family, um, it was, you know, speak to be heard. And I remember sitting at our dinner table and I remember oftentimes if you didn't have something to talk about, if you didn't have something interesting in your day to talk about, my dad would call you on it. You know, do you have nothing to say? Are you done eating? Um, And so really encouraging us to speak up and be interesting. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it is that learned behavior, right? Um, But he didn't teach me that I should probably slow down a bit (laughs) when you uh, move out to a, a very different world. Um, and, and I mean that. I mean, it's uh, it was a very, very uh, dramatic shift for me. Well, let's talk about Lila B. 
How did this brand come to life for you? Why? What's the why of the brand? Sure. So um, I was never a beauty junkie, although during my crazy frivolous years in Manhattan, I was quite the beauty consumer. Um, I bought more product than I probably could have ever worn in my life. Same thing with the shoes and my handbags and my closet, but that was just the world that I was in. Um, And what I recognized when I moved out to California, embraced this entirely new lifestyle and simpler, minimalistic sort of philosophy, um, is that everything else was sort of pared back, but my beauty routine wasn't. So, you know, I wore flip-flops. I fussed less with my hair. I never wore blue jeans so much in all my life. I just never wore jeans here in New York. Um, And I was much happier and lighter and healthier. Um, And the one thing that you know, was very clear to me, particularly working at Arcade and having lots of amazing insight, um, was just how cluttered and complicated, confusing the world of color cosmetics had become um, and how many different products that brands actually encouraged you to buy and use and prerequisites before you could put the next five products on. And um, while that really provided an amazing and successful career um, with our business uh, when I was at Arcade, it was so daunting to me as a, as a consumer. And, you know, when I first got out of university, Bobby Brown was my girl. She was simple. She made it easy. She was timeless. She was ageless. My mother wore Bobby Brown. My sister, myself, you know, we'd go to that Lord and Taylor beauty counter in Connecticut and uh, and we'd stock up and we'd all wear the same three products. And there was nothing like that. And I was never really loyal anymore to any one brand other than Bobby. And, um, you know, when I started thinking about, you know, the this clear white space in the industry of a simple minimalistic collection, um, I thought about how I could pare things down, how I could really put three or four tasks into every single product and stand behind each and every one of uh, what they do. And... Um, I thought about that. I thought about uh, locks. I thought about I was a luxury beauty consumer, and um, I wanted beautiful, luxurious formulations that lasted. Um, and then back then, five and a half years ago, when I started the development of Lila B., um, things were becoming a lot more innovative in terms of clean ingredients. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, I wanted to provide cleaner formulations that still worked and lasted because if you're going to make things easy for someone, you don't want to tell them they have to reapply 10 times a day or that it won't look and perform. Um, so it was definitely this personal desire and need to have something simpler, easier. And I really thought that, you know, the brand would truly resonate with the modern day woman who just wants to look fabulous, but they want to look fabulous with ease. So what led you to leave this like great job where you've developed so much, um, success to say, now I'm going to be an entrepreneur and spend all my money. Sure. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I think that there was sort of this, um, first of all, I I have to say, if I lived here in New York, I would have never taken this leap. 
I think there is just something so inspiring. There's so many amazing, passionate, soulful entrepreneurs, not just in the beauty space, but just in general, um, whether it's in tech or otherwise in, in Northern California. So I think that was really inspiring. Um, and I don't know that I would have ever done this um, had I lived here. I would have gone on to the next best thing um, in my industry. But uh, um, Arcade Marketing was put up for sale. And um, during that process, I thought about what my next step would be. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I had this idea in my head for probably about three or four years prior to that. Um, and that's when I approached my husband and, and told him my brilliant idea and my, my sort of brilliant concept. Um, and, uh, and he made me write a business plan <laughs> before I can actually give up my career um, and, uh, and be a startup queen, which has been fabulous. Best decision of my life. And um, were you self-funded in the beginning? Yes. And are you still self-funded? Um, lots of amazingly supportive friends and family. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> it's so hard. It is. It is. Um, it's really hard. I also think that, you know, there's a lot of times I get the question, you know, what would you tell to that um, woman, that young girl or woman who would love to start their own beauty brand or start their own business in general? Um, and it's just like a renovation on a house, right? It always costs you so much more than you realize. Um, so uh, early on, yeah, we thought we would have plenty of money to continue to run the business. Um, and I think I'm amazingly, uh, amazingly, I have an amazingly supportive of team of supporters in my family, right? And and friends and colleagues that I used to work with that believed in me and believed in in my idea. And uh and I've been very fortunate. But yes, it's so challenging. And it's it's even more challenging when you're in the early stages because you don't necessarily want someone who comes in and invests to take over your business. Um, but yet when you're in the early stages, it's much more risky for investors. So it, there's a very interesting dance. Um, but yes, I feel very lucky. Well, um, talking about the cost of running the business or starting it, you um, you approach packaging in a way that most entrepreneurs don't, right? So most entrepreneurs would look at stock availability, um, look at minimums and buy something that's available, maybe do some customization with decoration or caps. But you made these really beautiful custom pebbles, I'll call them. Is, mm-hmm. is that what you call them? Yeah. And um, they're really like a piece of art. Thank you. That's a not a cheap process. Thank you. It's not a cheap process. Um, I made a decision early on that everything that I was going to invest in, every single element of the brand, not just the icing on the cake, which is what is inside the components, um, but also packaging would be luxe and it would be fabulous and it would be worth every dollar that you spend on it. Um As I mentioned, I was that luxury beauty consumer for many years, and I have to tell you, I don't know how many times I purchased and spent a lot of money on a product that either looked horrible and embarrassingly so, pulling it out of my makeup bag within two to three weeks, or would break or crack. And um, I decided that I was going to focus long and hard on a package that not only would look fabulous always, but it would last, it would be durable, and women would be super, super proud to pull it out of their handbag. Um, 
my inspiration was drawn from Elsa Peretti, the designer at Tiffany for so many years and was everything that I ever wanted as a young teenager. All of her beautiful, fluid, organic designs that felt so good in your hand, um, her paperweights. And uh, so that's sort of where I started. And right. then we custom designed the stones. Did she do like beans? Or, she did yeah, beans, beans. Uh-huh. Um, for your necklace. Mm-hmm. She did the um, the cute little heart toggle bracelet, mm-hmm. um, beautiful paperweights that I still have on my desk. Um, so I was really inspired by sort of that beautiful fluid design that really feels fabulous in, in a woman or man's hand for that matter. Um, and women don't want to put them down. I mean, they're just um, they're just an amazing tactile, beautiful sensory experience and uh, they're giftable, they're covetable um, and they've become iconic to the brand, which is just incredible. It's incredible. So I, I first saw these and I don't know if you were there um, at the CEW beauty demo. I remember being in, I think it was the indie section or the new... Um, Probably indie, indie section. section. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw them on the table. Were you the person standing behind the table like four years ago? It probably was one of my marketing okay. girls, yes. And yes. I was so taken by them. Thank you. Um, it's so impressive. Um, when you started the brand or launched the company um, four four years, five years ago? It was four, year, four, years, it's four years now. Um that was a completely different universe than we are now with marketing. I mean, like, in such a short amount of time, things keep shifting. Yes. What was your focus priority when you launched the product? Was it Amazon? Was it retailers? Like, what, what were, and mm-hmm. how did you market it? So, interesting question, because that's clearly evolved quickly in four years. Um, well, first and foremost, because clean was not as... Uh, on trend as it is now. I mean, such a huge mega trend around wellness and, and clean uh, personal care products. Right. And plenty of greenwashing. Yes. <laughs> and because that wasn't really, uh, I didn't lead with that. So I was first and foremost, I was this luxe prestige brand and I was going to provide a simplified beauty routine for the modern day woman. And that's what I was all about. Three products is all you need. And by the way, we're clean. And during that process, I felt like it was really, really important for me to solidify who I was in a very big traditional conventional world of big brands that play in the luxe sandbox. So um, I launched at Barney's. I launched on Net-A-Porter. Um, within five months of launch, Net-A-Porter was distributing us to over 170 countries. It was mind-blowing. And then after that, you know, we started with Neiman Marcus. We're now in more than 32 doors of Neiman Marcus. So we we really started in that sort of luxe prestige space. And then we focused on our own direct-to-consumer business as well. And what we recognized early on is that um, the brand truly was exactly what I loved about Bobby, which was timeless and ageless. And there were young women women that were embracing the brand, and their moms. And that's when we recognized that even our distribution should um, focus on a younger demographic with a greater reach. And as other retailers, um, Sephora in, in, in particular, started to really scream from the rooftops, clean. We have an offering of clean, whether it's skincare or color or hair care. Um, that was our moment in time to partner with them. Um, and we're now even in Nordstrom. So we're definitely talking to, you know, a little bit of a, a younger demographic, but yet um, the consumer is just embracing and loving the line in the likes of, of Neiman's and others. So definitely started off as like super, super high-end Lux Prestige. And, and here we are really across the board. 
So my last question for you is, because um, this is incredible, um, what keeps you up at night? Oh. <laughs> well, because um, I'm thinking of all the things that would keep me up at night if I was supporting all those retail partners. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's very stressful. And any given day, it's something new. And I think it's because as small as we are, I still continue to wear many hats. You know, is it that uh, sold out product? When is it going to get here from Italy? Um, is it, uh, you know, will this product resonate? This, we, you know, we have a huge launch coming up in January and I, I feel pretty good about it. I'm clearly biased. It's my new baby. But, you know, your fear always is, you know, will it work? Will it sell? Um, is it as fabulous as I think it is? So every day it's something new. Um, I have an amazing team in place. So what I do not lose sleep over is whether I'm getting, we're getting things done. And I feel fortunate and I have an amazing support system, including my husband at home. So um, yeah, I think it's different any day, but uh, there's a lot of lost sleep. <laughs> so, um, you know, what I'm hearing is like the consumer perception or their feedback is like like the looming, I guess, fear, like will, will it be loved? Um, mine is always financial insecurity. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's farther away behind me, but it's always there. Yes. Like it used to be literally like on top of me, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> like all over me. Um, and like as time goes on and I like have more um, faith in myself and I've learned not to worry and um, mm-hmm. have more confidence, it's like trailing behind me. It's like at the end of the block. It's not right on yes. top of me, but I feel like it's just part of being an entrepreneur. It is. It is. And I think that every entrepreneur, whether you're funding yourself or whether you have millions of dollars to run your business, the fear is uh, if and when it'll ever run out mm-hmm. and how much more will you need to get to the next level. And, you know, if you want to do really big things, it takes capital, it takes money. So I think um, no matter who you are, I think the fear of if you have enough to, to get it done is always there. I actually am working through this in therapy right now, but like I'm, I so love where I am right now. Like I love it. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so happy in all aspects of my life that I, I feel like there's just going to be like this hand that reaches a giant hand illustration, like reaching and taking it away from me. Right. And I have to like work through that because that's, that's, that's an obstacle for me. It's always, I think it's a fear for a lot of people. It really is. You know, there's times where I say to my husband, you know, I want to, I want to pinch myself. I'm, I'm 49 years old. Who would have ever thought I'd be like the founder of a beauty brand? First of all, that's crazy. Um, and that I have this amazing team and, uh, Lila B's going strong and, and I have my health and happiness and a wonderful family and, and I feel very fortunate. But I think there's always that fear of when is something, you know, pinch me because, you know, when is something going to go awry? Um, it's just way too perfect. Well, thank you so much for being so candid with us and for sharing all your wisdom. I'm so grateful that you're here today. Thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Cheryl. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.